2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Diana Clark, and by our esteemed guest, Naz Hassanein. Welcome, Naz. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: So for our audience members, Naz has been in the family office space nationally and in Boston for a long time. She was with Fox, the family office exchange, helping to manage single, multi-family office relationships and other advisor relationships. She then went on to help develop the center of influence strategy at a multi-family office called Ballantine Partners, and in 2015, she started Worthy Circles, which is an basically an advisor networking group. And I have to say, Naz, I've been part of many of these different types of networking groups. I think not only are the, is the community fantastic that you've created, but you really go out of your way to make the right professional match, which is the topic of our podcast today. So I've really appreciated the effort you go through to really make sure people are enjoying their membership and getting something of value out of it. Um, and we're going to start with a very easy question. Can you talk to us a little bit about, in your years of supporting families, what some of the most memorable family systems have been in your career?
1: Well, I mean, we when I was at Family Office Exchange in particular, we worked with over 350 single-family offices, some of them somewhat typical in that you'd see different types of questions often, others un- you know, once in a lifetime kind of experiences. For example, we worked with one family system that needed to hire personal security to get their daughter out of a bad relationship with um, basically someone who was dealing in drugs. And they felt like their daughter was um, being held. uh, So we had to help them find the right Uh, security team that could help um, kind of jump into the system and help free the daughter. So that was definitely memorable. Um, And then I think the other thing we did a lot of when I was at Family Office Exchange as well, was helping families find the right advisor. And one of the most memorable things that would happen repeatedly is that we would get the selection down to, you know, two or three great advisors, great multifamily offices that we thought the family could be very happy with. And I think almost every time we were really surprised by who the family chose to work with. Um, So you could really select it down to a few and then it really comes onto the personal, selection and their relationship that helps them decide who they want to work with.
0: That's that's a really good point. So it's not what people look like on paper. It's all about the interaction, right?
1: Right, absolutely. So start with maybe a group of eight or six different family office, multi-family offices that we think would be good um, prospects for the family to start, uh, meeting with and talking to. And then as they really selected it down to maybe two or three, then it really came down to personal preference. And mm-hmm. all of those firms would probably have been wonderful advisors for any family, but it really became an issue of what that family was looking for. So did they have more female Um, inheritors, and so they wanted an all-female staff or or a heavily female staff. It might have just been, you know, a certain circumstance and something happened with one advisor that left a bad taste in their mouth, um, and, you know, they decided to pivot away from that, and then, of course, sometimes it really came down to a vote as well, because some of the families might be in the fourth or fifth generation, and, um, you know, the, the issue really, everyone had a different preference and it would come down to a vote or a proxy vote on who um, the family was going to work with. So it's always interesting. Never a dull moment.
0: I'll bet to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations would be really enlightening, I think, for all of us,
2: yeah. I have a question related to that. I mean, I we know that a lot of professional firms are really thinking about, you know, how do you attract the next generation? Their parents choose the firm, and the concern is that the next generation will fire all the current advisors for one reason or another and move on to a different... Um, to a different group. How how do you think about that as it applies to advisors? And uh, you know, the strategy I've seen most recently is you just hire somebody younger, you hire a woman or you hire, you make a diversity hire with the hope that that increases the chance that the younger generation will align or feel more comfortable. But has that been your experience or have you seen other agencies deal with it effectively?
1: Well, I think one of the interesting things that I'm surprised that families um, that, multifamily offices and advisors don't do as often is that they don't start, they don't do what family offices do, single family offices. So single family offices obviously they want to have, they retain the family. The family, the multifamily offices and the advisors sort of took a page out of the most successful single family office books on how they engage the next generation and how they have conversations with the next generation there would be a lot more success. So um, having said that, of course, I should first point out the caveat that sometimes a single family office obviously won't um, engage with the next generation, which I think is uh, not a great thing. I think that they should be engaging with the next generation as soon as they can, but sometimes the patriarch or the matriarch don't want to introduce the conversation yet. But I think the single family offices that, for example, um, will send out mailings to the next generation and it might be like a coloring page or something. And each time they send it back, they get something from the family office. So the next generation starts to get used to getting communications from the centralized family office. And then they start getting to know the personalities behind the, in the communications, just engaging them in general. And I think once they're engaged, you know, from early stages and understanding and, starting to build a rapport. Um, I think that helps the advisors stay young, so to speak, and know who their constituents are, but also helps the family know who they're, they might be working with. And if they can establish a good relationship from that starting point, I think it could be much more successful. And you don't have to worry about hiring, you know, newer people, etc. You can obviously hire them younger people, etc. But you kind of know, where you stand and um, how well your connection is with that generation.
0: I love the idea of coloring pages. That starts them very, very young, keeps them as part of the family system, so to speak. That's a great idea. So I want to jump to Worthy Circles, your networking group. You must have come up with the idea, Nas, based on gaps or deficits you saw in the work you were doing? What was Worthy Circles designed to address?
1: So I got the start to my um, career. I worked for a research firm out of out of Boston, I'm oh, sorry, out of Washington DC called the Corporate Executive Board, which worked with Fortune 500 and, um, you know all the all the big name firms and so i was very lucky to work there for eight plus years um, and kind of work my way up the ranks but i think what i got to be very accustomed with was a membership model so something where you join and then you have all of the different services provided to you and you pick and choose what the best services are for you and from there, I went to work at Family Office Exchange, which was wonderful education in the family office world, and it, I helped them strengthen their membership network and how to create a really cohesive membership network. And then I went to Ballantyne, um, and while I was working there, I started to kind of understand even better what it means to try to build a marketing or a, a business development um, system. And that's the piece that I really focused on when I was at Valentine. And while I was doing that, I noticed that there were all sorts of like different um, challenges. So for example, you might meet another advisor. It's kind of like dating. You go out, have a first date, you meet this other advisor, and you feel like they would be a good fit to the culture of your firm. And But you don't have any shared clients yet. So you say, okay, we're going to meet again in three months and try to get this going. And inevitably, it goes from three to five by the time you're able to schedule another lunch or check in. Sometimes it's awkward. Maybe you've done this three or four times now and you still don't have a shared client, but you still have the interest in having a shared client um, and you still think each other are good fits, but you're kind of running out of things to talk about or you feel a little awkward setting up the next appointment. Um, or other times you might meet with them and it's been five months and they say, oh, you know, I wish I had thought of you guys three months ago I had, or two months ago, I had a great um, prospect that would have been a great fit for your firm, but unfortunately for you, I ran into so-and-so at the golf club or I saw so-and-so at dinner and I introduced them to them. So it just reiterated to me some of the difficulties in creating these networks, which is you, you know, want to have a reason to be present in front of them. You want to have an opportunity to be showing off what a great um, leader you are in the space. And you need it to be continuous and not, you know, something that you're focused, you know, that you're forcing. Um, So then I started to think about, what I know about memberships. And I started thinking, you know, instead of doing this for one firm, particularly Valentine, what if I did this across all of the different advisors that that uh, help a family? Um, I At Fox, we had a great visual, which was like the dining room table and all the different spots around the table, which is like the life insurance, the property and casualty, the um, family business consultant, et cetera, the art advisor, et cetera, that, Inform the family. And I thought, well, what if I start to create a network around those different people, invite them into a membership, and then make it a three part focus? One is there's some informal networking um, that happens when you meet in person and when you, you know, we do some Zoom networking. So there's, this networking aspect where you're bringing people together um, in a larger group. Then there's very focused networking, which is um, I'm talking to the family or to the advisor, getting to know what they're working on, and inevitably it'll make me think of three other advisors that they should be working with and getting to know. So I'll make those sorts of very specialized introductions. And then the last piece is to have, thought leadership. So the other thing that really made me think that this could work in the Boston market is that, or in any market, is it's very dependent on your geographic region. So a lot of these national firms can be members of large organizations like Family Office Exchange, Family Wealth Alliance, et cetera. But a lot of the people who are on the ground in each um, city might not have access to that uh, opportunity. And how can you help them learn about what's going on in the family office world and also help them by leading with what they know the best and educating the other people in the group so that's kind of how i started family office exchange i sorry how i started worthy circles and um then how i focused on you know then the, the next piece that i had to focus on is how to make it regular because um like anything in life you know you make you make business introductions, you make it happen by being present. So how do you keep drawing people back to the table and making sure that they're um, attending the meetings because that's how they're going to eventually get business.
0: So you work with a lot of, or Worthy Circles works with a lot of affluent families, people with very complicated needs and and in some ways, very particular needs. Let's just imagine for the sake of argument that one of your members had a client with a really difficult emotional issue, let's say mental illness or substance use disorder. How would where these circles be of help in that scenario? How would you source the professional and make that recommendation in the height of potentially a really difficult time?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, I think, again, it's having that community where people can post the question and ask, who have you worked with, um, who can provide these kinds of services? But in addition to that, it's, it's the thought leadership too, right? So if you've been part of worthy circles for a while, inevitably you've probably heard Arden or yourself or other providers talk about different topics. And so they also have not only a personal recommendation from another advisor that says, you should really use this advisor, but most likely across the years, they've probably heard that advisor also present on the topic. So they can sense, you know, so it's, it's a personal recommendation plus uh, opportunity where they have heard um, this this advisor speak to the issue. So they can evaluate whether or not that advisor is um, knowledgeable and and can answer this question. And then the last piece I would say is that even though you have another firm making the recommendation, in most cases, because you've also met with the um, advisors in person, you also know something about their personality and, you know, some funny stories from icebreakers, et cetera, that we've done in networking. And you can probably tell if this person would be a good fit for your family. Because, like I said at the very beginning, it really does come down to personal connection.
2: So, we've spent a lot of the podcast talking about, you know, how advisors can support families and and how worthy circles helps advisors to find the right resources on the behalf on behalf of the advisors, um, in ter- in terms of serving the families that there that are their clients. But how do you think about what needs advisors have? I mean, have you seen? struggles with them? I'm thinking particularly given the year we've just come off of, or where do you see the gaps and what, what they're trying to manage with respect to their clients?
1: So I actually think that, first of all, our industry has been so lucky with COVID in that I feel like most people, um, most advisors have had more business than they could manage. Um, so they had a change in administration, which created a lot of busyness for them. There was COVID, there were so many different things that made them think about their legacy and their um, estate planning, et cetera. Uh, and it's a bull market. So, you know, it's, it's, everything has kind of come together and made it a perfect time for anyone who's working in the ultra high net worth space. And for an industry that's not typically impacted by economic changes, Uh, The Great Recession, um, or so it was called, I felt like that was really the first time that people really felt rocked in this industry uh, with Lehman Brothers, everything that was happening. And um, I know that, for example, the founder of Family Office Exchange, she was really surprised. And at that point, she had been in the industry 20 plus years running Family Office Exchange. And she said that that was the first time that she really sensed that um. That, that people were worried, advisors were worried, families were worried, because they didn't have that stream of trust paying out to their families.
0: Do you think that there are still gaps that remain in supporting professionals in your field?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm not just saying this because you guys are doing the podcast, but there are you guys are kind of cutting edge in. I think there's only two firms that do what you guys do in the family office world. But I. I find, I find that I get introduced to people. And I think that, Arden, you and I had shared this story once uh, when we first went to lunch and you were just launching O'Connor Professional Services. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I hope she makes it. Like this is, this seems like very scary. And I don't know how many people would need her service. And then we left lunch and I had, And then I drive home, I was like, oh, I have like five people that I could introduce her who would need her service. So this is, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that this same story has played out for me a number of times. Um, Like just recently, I was introduced to other people who, for example, someone might be a fixer, a district, uh, a DA, a person who worked at the DA's office and is now helping families of wealth deal with reputation issues or different types of issues like that. So when I first meet them, I think to myself, oh, that's a real kind of like niche opportunity. And then the more I start listening to what they're doing and then I leave the conversation, there's like three other people that I could introduce that person to. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities in the family office world that you might first think of like, oh, this is very much so a niche opportunity. And then you get to know or you you listen and you, you realize like, no, this could be a full-blown, field that could ha- host many advisors in that um in that place so i hope that answers your question but yeah it, it, it's funny you say that. Needs that you don't think of all the time i was just going to say you nope. think about that like dynamic that picture of all the different players and you name all the same ones usually and then i keep getting introduced to these other advisors i'm like oh that's actually brilliant of course so my first reaction was like <gasps> Oh God! I hope I can introduce you to someone. I don't know, like you know. And then I start talking to them. I'm like, I can introduce you to ten people, but it takes a moment. I think, it,
2: I think that makes total sense. I mean, I, I think as families increase their wealth, their lives become more complicated, and as people are living longer, I mean, I can speak specifically to the mental and physical health space. You know, we're just seeing clients with needs that can't aren't always easily answerable. So a, a classic example for me, and this has come up maybe three or four times in the past three years, is a family will say, we are we want someone to help us figure out proactively what the best insurance policy is for us to buy. And finding someone in that space, is I thought it would be very easy because there are all these different advocates that can help you if you get a claim denied, get the money back from the insurance company, but a lot of them you know, I f- eventually found a resource, but it took a while to find a place um, that could confidently say, yes, we can look at the family, look at their needs and give them a couple of options with cost and and justifications as to why they should go one direction or another. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, that, you know, it, it, it can sometimes feel like there's this whole cottage industry of very specific specialists, but in fact, you know, the longer we live and the more complex our lives become, the more complex our needs become. Um, so so I have another question around professional work. Now, do you see learnings that you've had in your career as a professional, as well as, you know, in all the different presentations you've attended of other professionals, how has that impacted the way you manage your own family and your own family dynamics?
1: Well, that's a, that's a great question. So I, um, I'm an immigrant. My parents came from Iran during the revolution. And it's really interesting to me because I, I think about this all the time. I think a lot about um, what we talk about, what, you know, Sarah and all the other people in the family office world talk about the difference between a first generation entrepreneur and then, the you know, the third or fourth generation that's so worried about um, being able to make the same have the same success and so sometimes they give up before they've even had the opportunity, etc. I think a lot of times, you know, it's very similar to an immigrant's experience. You know, the first few generations have to work so hard to make it and then the other generations almost take for granted or don't understand how they made it and they, because they didn't go through that struggle, things don't feel the same or the story kind of gets weakened. So, I see that. I also see another aspect, which is, you know, I, um, in Iran, there's obviously a lot of wealth from oil and from different things, but there's no real family offices. And when I think about the Middle East, I think that there's starting to be more family offices. But why is that? And you realize that the family and probably like back in the day, the tribe network was so strong that it was led by a patriarch and they made all the decisions and kind of dispersed the money and decided how everything was going to be. So it's interesting to me when you say, like, you know, does this kind of impact your own personal thinking and how you work? And I, I do find it fascinating. I really am interested. I work with some when I was at Family Office Exchange, I did work with some Iranian families who had set up, Iranian-American families who had set up family offices. And it was interesting to me on how they kind of had to manage the, um, just the complexities of custom.
0: I can imagine that would be a tricky um, generational issue to navigate. Not only are you navigating wealth, you're navigating uh, customs, you're navigating culture, you're navigating patriarchy. I can imagine it really being a very complicated way of having to navigate intergenerational, you know, potential conflict or agreement.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's also very funny. Like my grandparents, you know, they were all the youngest of six or eight family of of siblings and then how they actually were lucky to be quite wealthy and how the money was divided out amongst boys and girls and who got what and you know, just the conflicts that continue. Like I still at this generation like would hear the stories of oh, this person, got this and I didn't get this. And, and you still, and then you you go to the party and you know, you were kissing the same people and saying hello to them. And you're thinking like, do I like you or do I not like you or do I fit into this whole <laughs> network? And then you put that in or you listen to family office stories. You're like, no wonder it's so complicated, so complicated already, let alone if there is like some big family, money situation or an asset situation or something that's an asset that was an asset of um, something that might not be tant- like worth a lot of money, but was worth something in your family and you're upset that you didn't get it for whatever sentimental reasons. So that's crazy.
0: Do you have anything else you would like our listeners to know based on all your amazing years of experience, your ability to network and matchmake. I like to think of it that way. Um, What else would you like our listeners to know?
1: I just really think it comes down to personality and that is the most important thing. So it's not important to just have one person for any industry to refer people to. You always wanna have many people so that you can be making the right connections. Um, and I think it's so important to listen to what people are doing and, and be aware and be open, like I said, to the different industries, these cottage industries that are springing up. Um, the other piece I would just say is that my experience in business development and um, working with family offices is that it's not just one thing that will make you successful or have a name, so you really are, not one path. So you can't just write a few great white papers. You can't just be a great speaker. You can't just be a great networker and go to a lot of cocktail events and meet people and network them. You have to do everything, um, which might sound a little bit disappointing, but the point I'm trying to make really about all of this is that, you just never give up you always have to be present you always have to go i oftentimes joke like you for me i can't be successful by just scheduling all these different events and having people um, attend the events and when they want and to um, present whenever they can etc you really it's that that phrase like you can lead a horse to water in my mind if you want to be successful you can't just lead that horse to water you have to think and recreate yourself until you're having that horse drink. So I I feel like, um, you know, I started Worthy Circles, like you said, in 2015, and it started with separate different networking circles. Then I moved everyone together and people weren't so worried about competitive issues because of this personal fit issue. Then it's, you know, you just constantly have to be recreating here, so then we had COVID. And that actually proved to be a big boon to my business because I was able to all of a sudden get these great family office speakers from around the country. And people were able to network on Zoom. And I was able to do more thought leadership than I'd been able to do in the past. Um, And now I feel like I just constantly have to rethink how i'm going to use zoom because people are not quite ready to be back in the office and be doing in-person meetings but at the same time people are sick of zoom so how do you recreate yourself so that people are interested and want to be participating on calls and getting all that good thought leadership but again it's a little bit of eating your brussels sprouts you know you can get onto a zoom or you can do something that will let you get out of the office five minutes early so how can you make them want to get onto that zoom Um, And I think that that's that's the whole piece is, and I think that goes for anyone in the industry, not just me, it's just about being present, being thoughtful and, and, you know, trying to help people, um, but also just not giving up.
2: I love how persistent and creative you are, but also, I, again, very geared towards the end customer who is a member of your organization. And I just think more so than many subscription or membership type organizations, you're very conscious of sort of what people want to do. You ask for feedback um, and you really think, are always thinking about creative new ways to engage people. So thank you. Thank you for coming today on Beyond the Balance Sheet. Thank you to our audience members for listening in, and if you're so inclined, please give us a positive rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. We look forward to having you at our next episode.
1: Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources, and sign up for our newsletter.